Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and what body parts you shouldn't do weighted training on. This episode will be the first part of our Demon King Piccolo arc as we give our thoughts and opinions on episodes 102 through 112. So grab your favorite turtle shell and get ready because this training session is about to begin. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And with the ending of the 22nd World Martial Arts Tournament, Goku is handed another second-place ribbon. Our heroes all gather for the celebration of a well-fought tournament. And at the end of our last episode, things quickly take a turn for the worse when we find out that our beloved Krillin has been killed by an unknown actor. Was there anything you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? No, I think that covers it really well, and I'm just excited to jump into this next part. Yeah, with Piccolo in the name, I'm I'm excited. And <laughs> things, they kick off with Krillin's death, a terrible conspiracy. And this episode begins with, you know, like I said, everyone was out, they were having food, they were having a good time, and Goku goes rushing off and he finds Krillin's body. And we see everyone kind of filtering in and gathering around and everyone's starting to kind of bear witness to this murder scene. Yeah, so this scene is interesting to me. I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't a big fan of how the scene was done. And I think we kind of touched on it for the end of the last episode where it just doesn't hit the right emotional beats for me. Uh, it, I feel like... It, it not only needed it, there are parts where it doesn't have any music and there are some parts where it could have had better music. Goku, Goku's response, at least initially, doesn't feel very emotional to me. I think that's partly the the writing, the animation and the voice acting. Uh, and we're watching the dub here and I don't think it's the, the voice actor's fault here. I think that there's just a lot of things working against this scene that don't make it hit home. Yeah, the the scene almost seems like it's it's too much of a, a tool to progress the story is kind of what I got and not something that they slowed everything down to really appreciate the emotional impact. It seemed like we hit this beat. We now have a reason for the next, I guess, story and we're rushing out the door to get to that. And we don't really take time to appreciate the, the journey that Krillin has had with all of our heroes. Yeah. And the interesting part is that as all of the rest of the gang, like Roshi, Yamcha, Balma, everybody else sees and hears that Krillin is dead. I mean, we get to hear their reaction. I don't feel like their reaction is very good either. But immediately following this scene, like the connecting pieces from this scene to the next, I do really like as Goku does show his anger and his rage as he grabs his power pole and runs out the door. And we get to hear Roshi screaming at him like, no, get back here. Stop right now. And Goku does not listen to him. It's a really great shot. Yeah. And you don't see Roshi really raise his voice with that kind of serious tone very often. And so this was a big deal. How many times have you heard Roshi yell at Goku? Like, I forbid you to do something. I can't really think of any moment. And Goku just ignores it. It's white noise to him. He's out the door. Tears kind of flooding from his eyes as he's just running to avenge his fallen friend. Yeah. And so at that point, we do kind of get uh, a little bit of a, a flashback montage showing the different moments that we have kind of seen Krillin in the show where we've kind of 
followed Krillin through his journey as he grew as a person and a martial artist and as Goku's best friend. Uh, so while they don't do the initial scene justice, I think they they do a better job kind of following that. Uh, and we kind of get to see Goku try to track down this killer using the dragon radar. Yeah. And so we kind of know, I guess, the the direction that Goku's going in, right? He's going to avenge his fallen comrade. Well, everyone else is kind of standing around in this really grim scene and they find this piece of paper with this symbol on it with the meaning devil. And no one knows what it means except for Master Roshi, who even stops and drops his walking stick. And he's kind of, I guess, at a loss for words and kind of the gravity of the situation is becoming apparent to him. And he explains that this was the work of King Piccolo, a terrible being who once plunged the entire world into darkness. And we start kind of getting a background story of what we're dealing with here. Yeah, this episode has a lot of exposition told from Master Roshi's point of view, but Master Roshi describes because he lived through this this time of uh, of torment, basically, from King Piccolo as Piccolo and his minions killed people across the world uh, trying to not only like destroy humanity, but potentially take over the world. And the last kind of bastion of hope against the reign of King Piccolo was a small temple of martial artists who fought against the monsters. And they were able to turn a lot of the energy that they were attacked with from these monsters back against the monsters themselves uh, but only leaving two of them left alive, those two martial artists being Master Roshi himself and his friend, Shin, the crane hermit. I thought that was a wild connection between Master Roshi and Master Shin. And I thought it was, I mean, we are getting so much background into Roshi and a lot of the the surrounding characters, I guess, at this point, because we're starting to learn about Piccolo, as anyone who's seen Dragon Ball knows that name. So we're starting to learn his origin. We've got connections between Master uh, Roshi and Shin. And I mean, this is really building up so much background for all of these characters. I It is exposition. But I think it's very meaningful exposition. And I was happy to sit here and listen to all of it. Yeah, I mean, it's in a lot of ways, Roshi is used as a tool to give us this exposition dump. But it also, like you said, gives us a lot of information and insight into Roshi, into Shin and their relationship, into Piccolo. Like there's a lot of valuable information to be had here. And Roshi kind of continues this story, stating that after defeating Piccolo's minions, Piccolo himself came to fight Roshi and Shin and easily dismissed them, easily defeated them. And that led to Master Mutaito, Master Roshi's own master, uh, confronting Piccolo himself 
but also getting defeated. Master Mutaito, no match for the Demon King. And this kind of led to Shin... Uh, Master Roshi says that Shin kind of broke uh, and turn, changed as a person. Master Roshi went into hiding, went into isolation, and Mutaito just kind of left, uh, disappeared for a period of time. And I mean, it, it looked pretty bleak in this moment of the the telling of the story. Yeah, and I do like that now we have. I guess a reason for uh, Master Shin to kind of be the the crooked person he is. He was somebody who lived through extraordinarily traumatic um, experiences, watching the defeat of his master, the death of probably all of his friends, and kind of the world as he knew it being just destroyed. And so you kind of at this point understand at least why Shin is the way he is, and it's I mean. I can only imagine how this would have affected both of their, their outcomes, what the people they could have been if it wasn't for something like this. And from here, we, we see uh, master Roshi. He's found by his master while they're out in hiding. And he's told that I think I have a way to, to defeat King Piccolo. I think I have an option. And so they're reunited and there's kind of this climactic final battle between um uh say his name again i struggle with it it's a tough one mutai ito mutai ito um steps forward to fight piccolo one-on-one and this is where we get to see at this point what i think is a pretty iconic technique we get to see the first ever um evil containment wave that was launched as piccolo is sealed away into a little electric cooker it's, it's like a fucking rice cooker, man. <laughs> <laughs> so he is sealed away into an electric cooker, but the cost of the technique was so great that Mutai Ito actually gave his life in the process. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is a great story. Uh, there's a part of me that wishes that we could have gotten this in something other than just a flashback and kind of experienced it more. But like you said, Dayton, it really gives us reason, almost a, a reason to empathize or at least sympathize with with Shin, given all of the terrible things that he witnessed in his life and probably all of the loss that he had to deal with and why he turned into kind of like this crotchety old man. Um but it, it would have been nice to have some breadcrumbs of this situation kind of planted throughout the rest of the previous series, right? Where you can look back and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or, yeah, they, you know, they had this weird exchange. And I didn't understand this, but now it makes sense. You know, it would have been nice to have a little a little setup for this kind of reveal. I totally agree. Yeah, just some some little nods to to what is to come. Um, but there's there's not much other than Shin's personality which could really come from anything yeah he could um, just be a jerk right <laughs> yeah and, and so that's kind of the big exposition from from master roshi and it kind of sets the stage for for everything that's about to happen because with this uh symbol that they found they can pretty much confirm that the demon king piccolo has broken his rice cooker cage <laughs> and i think there's a little bit of 
implication here because this monster or this minion of Piccolo stole the Dragon Ball that King Piccolo must be after the Dragon Balls for some wish that he wants granted. Yeah, and so we we know that there's this, this great villain and we also know kind of his motivation at this point. And we also know that he's powerful, whoever this is, because Krillin is, Krillin's not a pushover. And yeah, Krillin's dead. And so we have somebody who is ruthless, a killer, and is extremely powerful. This is already proving to be probably the greatest opponent that we've seen so far on screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The... A scene that I was actually surprised to see at the kind of towards the end of this episode is that we are actually shown as the audience King Piccolo himself as we get to see this kind of airship uh, with Pilaf's name on it, of all people. And we are given the information that Pilaf was the one who released Piccolo from his prison. Uh, we are also are told that Piccolo wants eternal youth is his wish that he wants on the Dragon Balls. And he wants to use that eternal youth to rule the planet forever. Uh, but he also wanted the list of martial artists that his minion took so that he could kill all of the martial artists because they were the ones who sealed him away and he doesn't want that to happen again. So those are all of his kind of motivations. And kind of, I guess, tacking onto that, this is also where we learned that Krillin was killed by one of Piccolo's minions and not Piccolo himself. And I don't know. Oh, and the minion's name is Tambourine <laughs> to keep with the, uh, the musical instrument theme here. Heck yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, this is kind of giving us the the stakes and the scale here, right? Because we just got done watching this tournament where Krillin ended in, I think, the semifinals or the quarterfinals. He's, you know, easily in the top eight of the strongest martial artists, at least that represent themselves in this tournament on the planet. And he got chumped by not... King Piccolo, but King Piccolo's minion. <laughs> yeah. And Goku is currently on a crash course with this minion. So we're we're about to see just how powerful this tambourine is as we jump into episode 103, The Terror of Demon King Piccolo. And it's at this point where Goku actually catches up to Tambourine, who's carrying the Dragon Ball and list of fighters from the tournament. And we see Goku just enraged, just yelling out as he's flying up, catching up to him on his Nimbus. And he tells Tambourine that Krillin was not only a brave warrior, but his friend. And Tambourine just mocks Krillin's death. He just laughs at how weak Krillin was and just laughs at Goku for even bringing it up. He's not taking this seriously at all. No, we also are kind of given a flashback to the fight between Krillin and Tambourine. And I'm going to be honest, it's not good. Like the animation is not good. The fight is not well choreographed. You can tell that 
Toei Animation put a lot of their time and effort into the final fight between Goku and Tien in the last in, in the tournament in the last arc. And then this is kind of where the animation is taking a bit of a and the budget might be taking a bit of a back seat. Yeah, they they phoned it in on this one. It's just some really rough hopping around animations and then it's not it's not anything worth watching. It's also a little bit of a disappointment because this was like Krillin's death row right here. This was his final moment sort of thing. And it's not really given any justice. Once again, the whole Krillin death is it's not handled very well. No, it's a bummer because narratively it's it's a great moment. It's a great point, but it's it's just not given the respect that it deserves. Well, it but, should be a change of tone moment, right? Where we're like the the training wheels are off and the stakes are high. We're not just fighting in in a tournament. We're fighting a powerful killer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think uh, we kind of talked a little bit about that with the tournament where the, the stakes are kind of, especially in the tournament with Tien, the stakes are more so Tien's humanity like is is he going to come out a a bad person or a good person from this tournament whereas now i mean the stakes as we're finding out could potentially be the human race or the world and so that's that's a big jump big escalation very quickly (laughs) yeah and we we don't really i don't think we took the time to really appreciate that enough but Either way, Goku is, he's face-to-face with Krillin's killer, Tambourine. Goku is mad. He's flying around on his Nimbus. He's hes ready to get down the business. But Goku just finished one of the most intense fighting arcs of his life. And he is absolutely gassed. And we see Goku trying to um, use his speed on the Nimbus to confuse Tambourine, who just kind of easily sees through it and... This I'm going to go ahead and say that this is another fight that I it's not really that greatly animated. There's nothing to really take away from it. It's also not particularly clever with any of the choreography. Um, Goku's punches are kind of caught and then he, uh, the Nimbus gets blasted and destroyed, which I think that already happened once with like a bazooka or something. But I don't know. It bothers me that he hasn't tried calling it back yet. <laughs> yeah, I. I I had almost the exact same notes written down about this fight because I feel like it is very lackluster. It's almost awkward because Goku's Goku's flying on the Nimbus trying to fight this creature that can fly. And so it's a lot of Goku kind of circling around, darting in and trying to punch. And eventually, like Dayton said, the Nimbus gets destroyed. And then Goku tries to use his power pole to... Uh, recover basically but the i think the thing that i do like about this fight is that because goku is gassed tambourine is just manhandling goku destroys the nimbus grabs the power pole when goku tries to use it to recover as he falls out of the sky and just chucks it down out of the sky letting goku just fall to the ground and then goku just craters into the earth and you see goku just kind of crawling just trying to pull himself towards tambourine as he still got his mind on revenge and i mean tambourine just picks up goku and just starts going to town on him it is kind of a ragdoll moment sort of thing you don't ever 
at no point during this fight does Goku ever have the upper hand. No, I think the tail end of this fight, too, is the part that I kind of like, because like you said, it it's almost very savage and brutal as Tambourine just pummels Goku, knocks him up into the air. And then we start to get to we start to see what I would almost consider some of the iconic elements of Dragon Ball Z fighting as Tambourine like flies up into the air and then axe handle chops Goku down back into the ground, which is just fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, it definitely makes me reminisce. <laughs> but and at this point, it's Goku's looking like he's he's down for the count sort of thing. Uh, we get Tambourine just flying back and handing over the Dragon Ball and the list of fighters and they're they're handing out the list and showing off all the these pictures of all the fighters that we've seen at the tournament, right? Um and when they get to Krillin, Tamarine kind of laughs and goes, Oh, you don't have to worry about this guy. And then when they get to Goku, Pilaf and Gang kind of like, you know, recoil for a second and then he laughs again and he's just like, No, 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 you don't have to worry about this guy either. Yeah. So Tambourine left Goku with the assumption that he had killed Goku, which is basically, you know, what he's expressing with these these posters. And this is going to lead into one of the problems I have with this arc, because I really like this arc, but it has a few sticking points for me that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, um, we'll we'll get to some of these things, but yeah. the only there's only a couple other things that happen in this episode one is that we see that the rest of the heroes who aren't goku decide to go back to kame house and they're going to try and preserve krillin's body to hopefully bring him back with the dragon balls and this made sense to me i it's also not surprising um i've seen dragon ball before i know what happens when the z fighter dies um and yeah, uh, the only other thing that happens, which is just kind of brutal, is that Tambourine is going out to hunt these martial arts fighters. And the first one is King Choppa, who is easily defeated, followed by uh, Pampit. Yeah, I, I think that brings us to the end of the episode, but I really like the tone shift here. I mean, we've seen very little in the way of death in Dragon Ball up to this point. And this is starting to turn into just mass slaughter over time. <laughs> like, and these guys are not, I mean, we, this is again, this is really good storytelling from like, especially from a shonen anime perspective, because we just got done with this tournament which this tournament kind of gave us a perspective on how powerful each of these fighters are and where they stand in the hierarchy of martial artists. And King Champa, or King Chapa, we already know, has won the World Martial Arts Tournament previously. And probably the only reason he didn't make it to the finals was because he had to fight Goku in the... Or, didn't make it to the final eight was because he had to fight Goku in the preliminaries. Yeah. And it also adds a little bit of weight to these characters being killed, right? Like these are faces that we recognize and we know, and these aren't just, you know, random people. We know these martial artists and 
it makes the situation feel, I don't know, a little bit more heavy, a little bit more meaningful. And yeah, it's look, tone shift is the, the name of the game for this arc because we, gosh, I don't think there's been very many people at all who have died up to this point. I'm leaving that door open because I can't think of any right now, but we've, we've seen Krillin die and we've seen two other people die all rapid fire. I mean, it, it's a small list prior to this, right? We've, we've got to see, uh, Upa's father die and then get resurrected. So that didn't better, even yeah. stick. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a few other, mostly like monsters or creatures like, um, Metallotron is a robot who got killed, I guess. Uh, the other creature that was in Muscle Tower, I'm forgetting his name, but it looks oh, like... Oh, the big uh, dragon-looking thing or whatever, the bubblegum dragon? I can't remember. Exactly, yeah, the pink blob guy. It starts with an M. I can't think of it right now, but uh, that thing got destroyed or killed Master by Shen's Goku. brother. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, all most of the people we've seen die have been bad guys, right? Like, really bad guys, and so you're just, yeah, that's what happens to bad guys, I guess. Or it just, in some way, most of them kind of did it to themselves. They deserve it. Or they chose a bad route, yeah. And with this one, these these are people that weren't doing anything wrong. They just happened to have fought in a martial arts tournament. Now they're being targeted. Yeah, and I mean, they're, the the interesting thing here is that they're getting killed. We've got the potential to resurrect people with the Dragon Balls, but I think presently, and I don't think that they've necessarily covered this, but presently the Dragon Balls can resurrect one person at a time. So we're kind of, I mean, we're using that future knowledge of Dragon Ball, but applying that here, we more or less know that the Dragon Balls can't resurrect all these people who are getting killed, which is, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I think that leads us into episode 104, which is Come Back to Life, Son Goku. And we, where we left last episode, where Tambourine was off killing martial artists, we pick it up again. And the next victim is Bacterian, the big smelly guy who Krillin had to fight in the 21st World Martial Arts Tournament. And once again, it's not really a match and Tambourine catches him in an alleyway and just electrocutes him to death. Yeah. And I think this is a little bit further into the episode, but there's another shot of man wolf just floating down the river with a stake through his back, uh, clearly killed by Tambourine. Mm hmm. And. After the scenes of these warriors getting killed, we get to see that Piccolo decides that he wants another warrior. He's sitting in his his cool throne. He's like, I want another warrior. And Piccolo irks his back up. And then we see this big mass move up and through his throat and just out of his spittle covered mouth and flops onto the floor. We see this egg drop and another demon dragon fighter thing just hatches out of it and pledges his allegiance to Piccolo. This scene was disgusting and awesome. 
I loved it. Like the animation for this was really well done. It spends a lot of time focusing on what Piccolo <laughs> looks like as this egg comes up his throat and gets stuck in his mouth and gets launched out onto the floor. It's disgusting and it's amazing. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, they could have. There's a hundred different ways he could have done it, but they chose to go the um, the authentic route. And of course, upon being born, you need a name. And what better name than symbol to keep with the uh, <laughs> the instrument theme? It's it's funny here, and I it's interesting to me too because there is this other creature. It kind of looks like a pterodactyl, whose name is Piano, who is uh, presumably another child of King Piccolo. But this minion, Piano is very sassy is very like even makes fun of at least in the dub makes fun of piccolo's naming choice like oh you chose another instrument how original <laughs> I, one thing i will point out though is that when when he laid uh symbol he he laid symbol with a purpose he said i need another warrior to go find the dragon balls for me and so he created symbol and Symbol's one purpose is to find Dragon Balls. So I think when when Piccolo makes a minion, it's purpose-built. So Tamarine might be the muscle. Um, piano seems like an advisor, a tactician, something like that. Something to give advice to Piccolo. And then, yeah, so we've got three different minions with three different purposes that we know of right now. Yeah, the other thing about the scene, too, is that I think Piano is the one who makes a point that this is dangerous for King Piccolo to be doing right now because each time that he births a new minion, it reduces his lifespan or in his old age could potentially kill him. Yeah, um, and when you look at Piccolo, he's he's got a bunch of wrinkles and his green color is very kind of dark and and faded and... You can tell that that Piccolo, he's a little long in the tooth right now. And yeah, this could be dangerous. Yeah, but that turns into uh, we kind of cut to the rest of the gang with Balma, Yamcha, Roshi and everybody. And they're they're talking about collecting the Dragon Balls and they're they're talking about kind of like resurrecting Krillin potentially. But they're also stating that the other option is they could use the Dragon Balls to defeat Piccolo, whatever that looks like, whether it just means like asking Shenron to kill Piccolo, to remove Piccolo from the planet, whatever that could be. But they can only make one wish every year with the Dragon Balls. So that would mean Krillin would have to be a corpse for an entire year. Yeah, and that brings up the dilemma of can you even resurrect him after a year? Is he going to age correctly? I don't know, but at least for now, Balma has a temporary answer, which is her little dead guy storage pod. So Krillin gets laid into it, and Krillin's on ice right now. They're going to keep him as fresh as they can for as long as they can. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. But we eventually move back to Goku, and we find that he is, of course, not dead. Uh, he is, however, hungry, and he finds himself a giant fish being cooked with nobody around to keep him from eating it. And so that's exactly what he does. 
Yes, he eats this fish that's about five times his own size because he, of course, not, he does. And after eating this fish down to the bone, he ate every bite of it. That's when we see a familiar character for those of us who have watched Dragon Ball kind of walk out of the woods. And this character, they don't say his name yet, but for anyone who's watched Dragon Ball, this is where Goku finally meets Yajirobe. Yeah, and yet not only meets, Yajirobe actively attacks Goku, throwing a <laughs> rock at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I think it's at the tail end here that Yajirobe, or maybe the start of the next episode, but Yajirobe expresses, motherfucker, you ate my fish. <laughs> You're a thief. You're a fish thief. <laughs> yeah. And I think stealing a man's food is one of the worst crimes you can commit. According to Yajirobe, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> but that does lead us into the next episode, which is episode 105, The Strange Guy, Enter Yajirobe. And yeah, Goku's called a thief, and they start bickering and arguing, and this is where Goku notices a Dragon Ball draped around Yajirobe's neck. And he assumes that Yajirobe is working with Piccolo to collect the Dragon Balls. And... Right at that point, the two immediately launch into battle. Yeah, and this is interesting. The, I mean, this fight, there's nothing necessarily to write home about here. It's not the best, it's not the worst. But the interesting thing to me is that Yajirobe is fighting damn near on par with Goku. It's, it's. I mean, Goku's Goku comes out on top, but Yajirobe is giving him a hard time. Yeah, Yashirobe is actually pretty powerful, and he's just kind of this random dude who lives in the mountains. He really shouldn't be as powerful as he is, but for whatever reason, he's kind of going toe-to-toe with Goku, and both of them think about how difficult this fight is. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Yajirobe seems to be, you know, somebody who lives off the land. They... his dialogue gets messed up. Like he, he doesn't understand certain words like breakfast. He says incorrectly. So it's clear that he's meant to be pretty savage. And apparently just he's used to being very strong due to his natural training, I guess. I will say this episode was not one of my favorite episodes. It felt like it dragged on for a while. And I think a big part of that is we have the backdrop of the impending doom that is Piccolo. And we kind of had this silly fight happening between these two characters and this dialogue that just isn't very meaningful. It's just little silly kind of corpse or yeah, back quips back and forth. And I mean, I took some quick notes from here on out because until we get to the end, I was not very there wasn't really a whole lot going on with this episode. I skipped over most of the rest of it. I I think, I mean, this is clearly to introduce us to Yajirobe because he's going to be important moving forward. But I think that that could have been done earlier in the series and would have had the same effect. So I, I totally agree with you. But if we kind of fast forward through this a little bit, the important part is when Symbol, the new minion of Piccolo, arrives on the scene to collect the Dragon Ball around Yajirobe's neck. Yes, and this is where we see another Dragon Ball trope. that, And I actually like this Dragon Ball trope when two fighters are eager to get to grips with somebody, but they have to decide which one's going to be the solo fighter. 
they play a quick game of rock, paper, scissors to decide who's going to fight them. And I don't know why, but I at this point, I love that. I love that it happened this early in the Dragon Ball uh, franchise. And we get to see Yajirobe and Goku play uh, rock, paper, scissors. I mean, this might be the origin of that, right? I don't think that we've seen that up to this point, but I can even I mean, there have been moments in Dragon Ball Super where Goku and Vegeta do this on multiple occasions. So I I also think this is funny almost every time that it happens. And I've seen it dozens of times and it's clearly been around for 30 years. I, I feel like we've seen rock, paper, scissors for something else earlier, but not to fight a super strong opponent. But I can't think of what it is. But yeah, yeah. this is this is what should be a very serious situation. And both fighters are eager to go. They whip out the rock, paper, scissors. And in this situation, Yajirobe comes out as the winner. So he's going to fight the henchman symbol of King Piccolo. And I love that he won because we're going to finally see what Yajirobe can actually do. And honestly, I do not like this fight until the very end. <laughs> it's kind of some, I don't know, not very well animated key blasts and hopping around. And then we get towards the end of this fight and we see Yajirobe kind of lean down with his hand on his sword. And we see him do this like quick back and forth dodges of these key blasts kind of moving in, I guess, just rapid pace. And we see him kind of draw cut the green monster. We see Symbol lean back and then slowly just slide apart, ending the battle. And I just, it, 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 chef's kiss. You guys did it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, this is an age-old trope at this point, but this was made back in, gosh, in the 80s, I think, at this point. Th this um, was the time where those tropes were formed, so I I can give it the pass because it's part of the original train. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The hardcore weeb in me was super excited when they did, <laughs> like, the slow-mo as he's putting the sword away it, with like the black screen behind Yajirobe. And then the, the monster just realizes that they've been cut in half. I mean, if I don't know if it was part of founding the trope, but it definitely paid great homage to it. And for such an early animation, it, it gets the tip of the cap to me. If this happened in a recent anime, I'd probably cringe a little bit, but you get a pass. You're part of the original bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, I would I would totally agree. I, I'm never upset to see cool swordsmanship. So I think that wraps Base. up that episode, though, right? Yeah, I uh, the only thing is the tail end there is that with symbol now dead, King Piccolo is shown feeling that death. So he's somehow telepathically connected to his minions and he does not seem happy. Yeah, and revenge is going to be the first thing on his mind. But we do have to jump into the next episode to figure out where that's going. And the next episode is going to be... Well, there was no episode the week after that. So it's going to be episode 106, The Demonic Beast, Tambourine Draws Near. And with Symbol defeated, Yajirobe decides to not let all that good demon meat go to waste. So he decides to cook it up and prepare to chow down, chow down despite Goku's warning to not eat monsters. Yeah, I mean, this is furthering the characterization for Yajirobe that he is a savage. But <laughs> he's not going to let that good demon meat go to waste. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Dayton said, King Piccolo wants revenge. King Piccolo is not happy that his child that he just birthed has been killed. And so we we do get to see Tambourine furthering his onslaught, killing the monster Giren that Goku fought in the first tournament that he participated in. And then <laughs> I, I actually really like this scene where it, it's a little bit long, but this father and son, these two bears are being bullied by Giren and Tambourine comes in, kills Giren. The two bears think that Tambourine is their savior and then Tambourine just murders the father for no reason. That blew my mind. <laughs> just just did it because he felt like it. That was it. Like, they came out to greet him, and he was slightly annoyed, so he killed that kid's dad right in front of him. Oh my gosh, the tone change is insane. Yeah, this is just furthering that tone shift, right? Because I, I feel like, at least at the beginning... Dragon Ball feels very much like a kid's show in, in in many ways, but over time, that tone changes where it starts to get much more adult themes, and now we're just getting people getting murdered left and right, and I'm here for it. <laughs> but this is not going to be uh, uh, Tambourine's final stop this episode. Turns out Kame House is his next destination. And he happens upon, they tried moving Kame House, but Tambourine kind of comes across it anyway. And after a brief moment of confusion where neither side realizes who the other is, they do eventually figure out that, yes, this is where I need to be. Tambourine recognizes Yamcha is his next target. And they begin to do battle. And remember, Yamcha had his leg broken by Tien during the tournament. And so we have a an injured Yamcha fighting Tambourine, who is just not even breaking a sweat during the fight. And Yamcha's kind of beaten back. He's quite literally on his last leg. And that's when King Piccolo kind of telepathically chimes in and says, Tambourine, you need to come back right now. Like, we've got got a red alert. Tambourine's like, oh, come on, Dad, I'm about to kill this guy. And that's when Piccolo explains that, no, we just lost somebody. And you need to go get revenge right now. And so Yamcha's life is spared. Yeah, yeah. King Piccolo unknowingly is kind of the saving grace for Yamcha in this moment as Tambourine promises to come back and finish the job, but leaves heading to where Goku and Yajirobe are. Uh, We do get to see also a cut to Master Roshi, Tien, and Chaozu as they are collecting the Dragon Balls, which is what Symbol was supposed to be doing for King Piccolo. Uh, So we've got kind of this conflict once more of our good guys and our bad guys racing to collect the Dragon Balls. Yeah, and I think that kind of wraps up that episode as things continue to just steam ahead into episode 107, Son Goku, an explosion of anger. And this episode begins with Roshi, Tien, and Chasu kind of struggling to negotiate their second Dragon Ball from a band of pirates. And when the pirates decide to go on the attack, uh, it doesn't go well for them. And so after kind of beating the snot out of the entire, well, not even really beating the snot out of them, Chaozu just uses his 
Chaozu ma- magic and catches all their bullets they were firing and I don't know some matrix stuff. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say. <laughs> uh, the, at that point, they decide to play nice and hand it over, but it's just a quick little scene. So they're they're already up to I think two Dragon Balls at this point. Yeah, they're collecting them pretty quickly. Uh, we just get little snippets of their journey to collect them, which is kind of fun. Uh, I think actually. We we do get to see Goku following Yajirobe. Goku says, I'm going to stick to you because you've got the Dragon Ball. And I bet that monster that killed Krillin and that almost killed me is going to come looking for it. And when he does, I'm going to kick his ass. And we kind of move back over to our our other group here. We get to see what I thought actually... Again, another scene that kind of runs long, but we see Tien and Roshi and Chaozu tracking down another Dragon Ball at a a house where there's a young woman and a young man. And Tien recognizes this man. And we get a little flashback to Tien basically giving this guy the Yamcha treatment and breaking his leg. And so this guy this guy is unable to walk or at least walk well without support. And he hates TN. He wants revenge against TN, but there's the implication that this guy potentially has the dragon ball that they need. And so TN eventually gets down on all fours and begs this guy for the dragon ball saying, we need this to, to help the world we need we need this to you know to save people uh and this guy the whole time says you know why don't you just why don't you just hit me and take it why don't you you know do the normal tn thing that i would expect and mm-hmm. use wreck my house go through my stuff just take what you want just i know you that's how you operate just go ahead and do it kind of almost like asking him to be the person that he thinks tn actually is yeah, he almost wants it, right? Like he wants to feel justified in this anger and vitriol that he feels for TN, but TN's just not giving it to him. And it's it's a great scene. I really like this scene a lot. Yeah, and it kind of it it shows how TN is going to have to deal with all the things that he's done in his past. And this was also a big like character growth moment for him, right? He probably normally he would have just knocked the guy's lights out and taken what he wanted. But he had to sit there. Not only did he have to just kind of endure everything this guy was telling him, he had to, I guess, show humility and kind of give up his ego and like beg. So it's kind of a a double whammy as far as character growth goes. And it it really showed where TN is right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eventually, the the man's wife calls the police and they try to pin these recent murders on all these martial artists on TN. At which point Master Roshi has been kind of letting this scenario go on because he believes that it'll be a good learning moment for TN. But Master Roshi steps in here and says, Hey, I've been with TN. I can vouch for him. I know that he's not the murderer. You guys need to back off. And at that point, Tien's still kind of groveling, asking for this Dragon Ball. Eventually, the the martial artist that Tien had injured gives in uh, as Tien apologizes and gives them the Dragon Ball that they're 
child was using as a plaything. Yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of a micro wholesome moment, right? To kind of see this this man who's probably been carrying around so much anger and vitriol and probably thoughts of revenge for all these years, and then kind of seeing him let it go sort of thing. And I guess actually giving forgiveness. And I, I mean, for all you know, Tien just prevented this guy from going off the rails and becoming the next villain, right? So we got to see this man's trajectory kind of probably change for the better. Yeah, honestly, I love this scene. The only thing that I would maybe change about it is that this character comes out of nowhere. Like, I wish that we would have seen this happen. I think that they could have easily have fit that in in like our earliest scenes with Tien. And I feel like that would have made it a little bit more meaningful for us as the audience to kind of circle back to this character. But still, I almost don't mind it because I can only imagine how many people Tien probably hurt through his travels. Right. He was trained to kind of be, for lack of a better word, a dickhead. And so he's I mean, as he travels, he's probably going to stumble upon just the the path of ruin that he left when he was following the crane school's teachings. And so this is just this is going to be one brick in the entire structure that he needs to rebuild. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a fair point. He's definitely going to come across multiple stumbling blocks as he's trying to change as a person. But I think we kind of move forward with tambourine now uh, yeah. showing up on the scene with Yajirobe. Uh, well, Yajirobe kind of ducking away from Goku briefly, but Yajirobe and Goku uh, kind of coming together once more against Tambourine. Yeah, and Goku's ready to fight again, and Tambourine just laughs at him. Like, I, I already fought you. You are basically an insect to me. I don't know why you think this would be different. But when this fight kicks off, last time Goku couldn't touch him. But Goku claims that he was hungry last time, and so this time's going to be different. And I don't know why, but that that is the most simplistic way Goku could have put it, because he doesn't bring up the fact that he had just got done participating in a in a martial arts tournament, that he was pushed to his absolute limit, that he was gassed and ran out the door. No, he was hungry. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's such a simplification, and it just made me laugh. So this is a funny thing, too, that I kind of want to bring up in that not only is Goku well rested and well fed here after, you know, like you said, he he was tired after the tournament. But with kind of the future insight into Goku as a Saiyan and how his biology works, we know that. Goku gets a Zenkai boost every time that he comes near death. So not only is Goku very well rested in this moment, but he also almost got killed by Tambourine. So his Saiyan biology gives him that increased power on top of that. I, I like you dropping those future knowledge bombs right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard for me not to like look at that and be like, oh, Zenkai boost. He's so much stronger this time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, gosh. But it pretty much leads off there with the battle about to begin between Goku and Tamarine. And 
that brings us right into episode 108, which is Demon King Piccolo Descends. And okay, so during the recap here, I have to bring this up because I don't remember if they mentioned it before uh, because I wasn't really paying attention. But they mentioned that Piccolo is an extraterrestrial. Interesting. I didn't even catch that because I a lot of times I skip the recaps. Uh, yeah, the recap, they mentioned that they also because it made me think of a small moment earlier where uh, Piccolo's one advisor, Piano, um, mentions that there's nobody who's a threat to us on this planet. I did catch that note and I was like, ooh, that's an interesting way to word that. So I'm starting to build up this kind of, I guess, resume that I think all the Namek stuff and everything might have been kind of in the backdrop when he wrote original Dragon Ball, especially with like the uh, extraterrestrial reference from Metallotron. That so that one was super interesting to me. Uh, the only thing that I want to say, though, about that is that like the Metallotron I'm really curious about. Um, this one, though, I think is a dubism. I think that oh. this this particular moment was Funimation uh, because especially because what ended up happening with the release dates was that the first like arc, maybe, maybe not even the first arc of Dragon Ball, the original Dragon Ball got dubbed and then got put out on American television and was not well received. So just got removed. But then they were like, let's try Dragon Ball Z. And so we basically got all of Dragon Ball Z and we got that dubbed and released. And then after that, they went in and dubbed the original Dragon Ball. And they were like, oh, you know, now we'll show people the original Dragon Ball. <laughs> okay. So never mind. I'm going to throw away this resume here because uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't trust any of it. No, not from the dub anyway. I think that this is definitely a dubism where they're trying real hard to like ham fist connect Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball. But I personally think in the manga when Toriyama was writing it, I think that Toriyama just wanted this guy to be a demon. I, I do question, though, a little bit because his design, man, it looks like stereotypical aliens. Am I right? It really does with like the antenna and stuff like that. It's I mean, it's kind of wild. <laughs> it's definitely wild. I don't know. Maybe for all we know, maybe he didn't have it fleshed out and just the idea was in the back of his head. And it's just like, well, maybe it could kind of look like this. I don't know. So I've been thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it might have been it might have been an inkling in his mind. And that might have been why he designed Piccolo to look like a traditional alien. But I don't know. OK, because I definitely just have a note that says this is supposed to be common knowledge that he's an alien at this point, because that was really weird. <laughs> it's uh, that one. I'm pretty sure is just the Funimation dub. I bet if we watched the, the Japanese subtitle, I bet it would say something different. OK, that's I, I will. Actually, I'm never going to double check that, but I'll say I should. <laughs> That's a good catch, though. I missed that part with the uh, with the the recap. I didn't even hear them call him an extraterrestrial. <laughs> really interesting. But anyway, so there is a scene where Master Roshi's flying around with Tien and Chaosu, and they're they're collecting more Dragon Balls. And Master Roshi actually he takes a moment to kind of reflect on his time with Krillin and Goku. And we see him kind of go back through some of the training that they had done and kind of their moments together. And I love the idea of Master Roshi kind of just like it's this slow moment. It's quiet. We're flying in a plane and his thoughts kind of drift towards 
all the memories he's had. Because at this point, Krillin is dead, and he's assuming that Goku is dead too. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, that would weigh in your mind. And just, it's not ham-fisted, it's not forced in, and it's a moment that feels really natural. And it's a small moment, but I'm glad they added it, because I think it adds just so much emotional weight to what's happening something that's been really missing through a lot of this yeah yeah i i very much agree with you uh again we're we're talking about that tone shift and we're talking about you know the the respect that they give to those moments of of character death i mean it's it's a big deal in this story arc and so we kind of move forward getting to see um I think it, it kind of moves forward into the, the tambourine fight here. It does. The battle between Goku and Tambourine begins. And we get to see Goku not hungry and not utterly drained from his World Martial Arts Tournament. And uh, this fight kind of starts off the polar opposite of the last one. Um, Goku is just moving at unbelievable speed that Tambourine can't keep up with. And Goku just beats the snot out of Tamarine. That's pretty much this fight. It's a curb stomp, man. And it, it it looks much better than Tambourine's curb stomp against Goku. I'll give it that. Um, it, it has a few interesting little beats of him just kicking his butt. Tambourine, I mean, tries to come back, like basically gets knocked out, tries to come back with some key blast business, but... Goku dodges it, doesn't affect him. And then Tambourine tries to fly away, trying to escape. And Goku uses the power pole, because he doesn't have Nimbus, uh, to get up into the air and then Kamehameha's Tambourine out of existence. Yeah, and so far in this story arc, we have not had an actual fight, it doesn't feel like. It's been just one-sided affairs with just kind of some smackdowns, maybe a cool animation in the fight but so far there really hasn't been like a ton of choreography a, a ton of well animated key blasts or scenes or anything it's just been smackdowns one way or the other whether it's tambourine just butchering people or in this case goku pretty much butchering tambourine yeah it's interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of physical conflict happening but it's more to serve the story, like with people getting killed or with Goku getting beaten or Goku beating someone. It, it's not about the fighting right now, necessarily. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, with Tamarine just dispatched pretty easily, we're, I don't know, I guess at this point, if you were to gauge the strength of anybody, it's really difficult because Tamarine butchered Krillin and then Goku, but Goku was tired, but Goku's not tired and hungry now, so Goku butchered Tamarine. Just like, I don't really know what's going on or who, what the hierarchy of power is or anything. It's just, it. I mean, it's just chaos. And I think it's supposed to kind of be chaos because it's Piccolo's minions just kind of wreaking havoc and we're really not supposed to really know what's going on, I guess, but it would have been nice just to have a decent fight. I, I would have liked that. Yeah, and that's fair, but I mean, we're we're going to be moving in that direction here coming up uh, as we kind of get, so Symbol and Tambourine are both now dead. King Piccolo can feel their deaths, and we get King Piccolo 
wants to wants to track whomever has killed his children down and get revenge but they along with pilaf and the gang they recognize that somebody else is collecting the dragon balls and so their plan is to let whomever is doing this as we know roshi tian and chaotzu collect the dragon balls and then piccolo will swoop in get the rest of the dragon balls from them and make his wish yeah and so we we now understand that uh roshi and company are kind of on a collision course with piccolo eventually and we see them um they find a bird cave and the dragon balls in there uh so they're up to four now i believe at this point um these scenes are pretty quick they go in they grab the dragon ball there's some sort of little twist in this case birds um but yeah they're up to four dragon balls but we do see at the very end of this episode that Goku and Yajirobe are found by King Piccolo as Pilaf's ship kind of rolls on end and it kind of leaves us there with that cliffhanger. Kind of the the fight that you would think wouldn't happen until later is happening pretty early in this story arc. Yeah, I mean, we're we're only, what, six or seven episodes into King Piccolo's story arc and we know it's at it's more than double that in length. And so our main hero and our main bad guy are about to meet and face off. And I mean, I say we just dive into the next episode so we can talk about what happens. Yes, let's do it. Which is going to be episode 109, Son Goku versus Demon King Piccolo, conveniently enough. And we see this episode starts off with Roshi, Tien, and Chaotzu continuing their quest to collect the Dragon Balls. And Tien is bringing up the uh, evil containment wave with Roshi. Like, why don't we just use that again? Um, I think we can beat him with it. And Roshi forbids it. You will not use the evil containment wave. But Tien's kind of, like, not letting it go. He's, he's obsessed with the idea of, like, what? Why don't we just use it? It beat him last time. Why don't we just use it again? And he's just, he's struggling to wrap his head around why Roshi is forbidding it. And that's going to be relevant later, but Tien just cannot let it go. And I mean, so far, Tien's been kind of proven to be a smart guy, right? Like he's trying to work things out. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Tien's also a very proud guy, which and his his pride is in his strength and we're going to see a lot of that coming up here too but we do kind of cut back to king piccolo as he drops down from the sky to confront goku personally and he's an imposing figure he's he's tall he's got to be upwards of 7 or 8 feet tall he's this kind of green wrinkly alien looking creature in robes and a, his cape flowing out behind him. But he jumps down and he's kind of like, you, you, this child, you're the one who killed my minions. And he's, he's just kind of making fun of Goku. And Yajirobe, upon hearing the name King Piccolo, uh, peaced out far before Piccolo ever hit the ground. Goku is on his own right now. He even gave Goku the Dragon Ball uh, just to make sure that, he, you know, he targeted Goku and not him. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because this is going to be a very common theme for our character Yajirobe moving forward, but he's he's chickening out of this situation. He's like, nope, I'm out of here. You're not getting my help. I don't care what happens to you as long as I save my own hide. And so he's watching from the trees as Piccolo and Goku ex- exchange their, uh, their pleasantries. But these pleasantries don't last long. And... The attack begins, Goku launches the first uh, blow, let's say, and Piccolo is actually kind of caught off guard by Goku's speed. And he's kind of beaten around, knocked to the ground, and for a moment it actually looks like Goku might be getting the upper hand in this fight. It's really interesting to watch, right? Especially because all of the story, all of the exposition, and even our time with King Piccolo has made him feel like this larger-than-life villain who could just not be touched. And Goku's just beating the dog shit out of him here in the first minute of this fight. Uh, And even the Pilaf gang is kind of concerned. They're like, oh, man, you know, we've seen Goku. He's thwarted our plans multiple times. We picked the wrong person to back here. We should get out of here. Yeah, this is where Piano kind of is just laughing at this point. It's just like, no, no, don't worry. He's just getting warmed up. And we see Piccolo kind of pull himself back up to his feet and shows us some more Dragon Ball tropes where he takes off some of his clothes. He's getting serious now. And uh, we get this weird scene where he's kind of breathing out like weird key smoke or something like that. I don't really understand what was happening here, but it paralyzes Goku for a little bit. Some sort of general blue level thing or something like that. Do you understand what was exactly going on here? The way that I interpreted it was almost more so that it was just him powering up. Like this feels like it's starting to get into the Dragon Ball Z age of things where Piccolo's powering oh, up his yeah. key and aura is being expelled outward. And almost just that power is like paralyzing Goku involuntarily. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I think in Z we've had moments where like the weight of somebody's energy or key was enough to almost like, almost like gravity was turned up 10 times or something like that, where they, they can't move. That's kind of what I likened this to because Goku's shortly after that first initial exchange, Goku's fine. He can move just fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, Goku, I guess being paralyzed by the, just the, the sheer aura of energy that King Piccolo is giving off. Goku kind of gets hammered a couple times and he's laying a smackdown on Goku. And this is the first time in a while where full strength Goku has been just completely outmatched. It's been a while in Dragon Ball since we've seen Goku just absolutely get pummeled at full strength. Yeah, this is a big deal, right? I mean, this is what you expect to see from Piccolo, given the weight that we've kind of been, that has kind of been expressed through the story. Uh, So I, I think it, was Toriyama really just kind of messing with his audience when Goku gets the upper hand for just a split second, which I like, I like that turn. Um, And like you said, this kind of develops a Dragon Ball trope that we'll see moving forward for a very long time. What do you think about the animation with, uh, I guess this exchange between these two characters? It's solid. I don't think that it's, it's not like Tien and Goku level. It's definitely not given that sort of respect. 
Um, there are a couple of moments that feel a little bit off, like the moment when Piccolo punches Goku in the face and then, like grinds his fist into his face. <laughs> it feels just awkward. Yeah, I, I actually don't even mind him kind of rubbing it in, but they're just the animation on that. You don't see like it's just a fist in front of Goku's face turning back and forth. You don't actually see like Goku's face like turning and and I guess wincing in pain or anything. It's just kind of happening. I don't know. I'm very hot and cold about this exchange. One, because I don't think I don't think this is a very interesting fight because it's just kind of the the oh, one has the upper hand. Now the other one has the upper hand. And that's just kind of the way the fight goes. There's no real I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's that big of a payoff to it. I'll say this. I I agree with you. Uh, I mean, watching beat down after beat down, which is pretty much what this arc has been that you kind of pointed out, is not it's not interesting. What I like about this fight is that it does finally show us how powerful King Piccolo is and how outmatched full power Goku is. And then it also it's savage the way that King Piccolo beats up Goku. Like he picks up Goku after pummeling him into the ground. Goku bites down onto Piccolo's thumb and then Piccolo just takes Goku and slams this child into the ground over and over. This is like, as far as beatdowns go, I love how savage this one is. And that's the other side for me is that the there's this certain level of brutality that we haven't seen in any of the other beatdowns that we've seen so far this arc. And I mean, it, it was very visceral. I almost wish some of the other beatdowns just didn't even happen. So that way, like I could not be distracted by that and I could just enjoy this one more. I mean, it's just, oh, it's a thing of beauty. They did a great job with it. Um... Well, no, they did a good job with it. That I'm not going to give them great. They did a good job with it. Oh, I agree with you. I, th- I think you and I feel pretty similarly about it. It's it's good. It could be better. Uh, you can definitely tell that they are not they're not dialing up the animation just yet, at least not up to 100. Um, but the the fight kind of continues as King Piccolo gets ready to finish off Goku with a key blast. And I, uh, I like one thing that I noticed here is while this key blast, it, it's basically like a finger. I think it's a single finger that he sticks out and it just creates a, a blast where he wants it to happen. But I really like the coloration because it has the same coloration as our... Uh, I guess Piccolo Jr.'s special beam cannon with kind of like the pinks and oranges. I did notice kind of a there there were definitely some similarities there to the special beam cannon. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um <laughs> but I knew it was there, especially with like the kind of there was different electricity effects that were kind of tied into it as well that we've seen with the special beam cannon. Um yeah, it's I mean, if anything, I guess give a tip of the cap to the future animators that were able to really take that that past kind of color palette and influence and carry it forward. Yeah, I love little nods to like the past or the future in in that sort of way, like tying those things full circle. And this is it's it's small, but it's it's a nice. It's there. It's noticeable. I definitely noticed it, too. So, yeah, definitely give them a tip of the cap for that. It's. 
And I mean, it's it is kind of fun watching Goku kind of scramble to keep his feet and just try it. Goku is fighting to survive towards the end of this encounter where it's just it's getting bad. Yeah, absolutely. There's I think uh, a pretty neat exchange again, moving into more of that like Dragon Ball Z fight territory here as Piccolo dodges up into the air to get away from one of Goku's assaults. And then Goku charges up into the air after him. And then King Piccolo disappears in kind of like an after image as Goku punches towards him. And then Goku gets the ax handle to the head again. And then Piccolo just juggles him, bounces him across the landscape and then punches him into the ground. It's such a cool, like I will say that sequence to me was a really cool juggling sequence. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the next episode because some of this stuff kind of just flows right into it, yeah, which is sure. episode 110, hang in there, son Goku. And like we, we see Goku just getting pummeled like we were talking about. And this is where things start getting really bad. Because Goku is pretty much incapacitated, pretty much just beaten, right? Like, he's gotten the smackdown of his life. And, yeah, things uh, things are going to take a pretty big turn here pretty soon. Yeah, I think one thing that happens at the very tail end of 109 is Goku using his Kamehameha. But the interesting thing is that the way he sticks his hands out King Piccolo gets really scared at first and you oh, yeah. we find out that it, it he thinks that Goku's about to use the the Mafuba or the evil containment wave and then when it's not the evil containment wave is the Kamehameha King Piccolo just kind of laughs it off takes the shot and does not seem to be affected by it at all yeah and with the kind of Goku that was kind of Goku's ace in the hole right that was his his big final move that I mean, Goku even laughs for a moment because he's like, that was a direct hit that definitely did some good damage. And Piccolo is just unscathed, just not even worried about it. And this is where Goku starts trying to like run and hide for his life from Piccolo, where he's trying to hop behind rocks and different bushes and try and find cover. And Piccolo is just blowing them up. And just every time Goku tries to leave, there's another key blast that keeps Goku into the fight. And... At this point, we see Goku trying to resist Piccolo in vain. We see Piccolo charging up his key, and like Goku narrowly dodges this vicious special beam-like cannon attack. However, the second blast that Piccolo is able to quickly rattle off while Goku is in the air catches him, and Goku topples to the ground, kind of lifeless and defeated at this point. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, hats off to the animators here. They they show the scene kind of change to like a stormy sky with rain coming down as Goku's lifeless body is lying there. And King Piccolo walks over to grab the Dragon Ball around his neck that Yajirobe gave to Goku. And in grabbing it off of Goku's body, I will say... One of the times, finally, that the bad guys check to see if he's dead, uh, where King Piccolo says his heart has stopped, and then he pulls the Dragon Ball off of Goku. 
Yeah, and Piccolo is gloating at this point. It's this Goku is seemingly probably one of the most powerful fighters on Earth, and he just easily dispatched him. And at this point, uh, Piccolo gets himself together and goes back up to his ship and begins to make his leave, leaving the now lifeless Goku lying there. However, we very quickly learn that... uh, I guess Piccolo doesn't check pulses very well or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and this is this is kind of what I was talking about earlier with there is there are a few problems I have with this arc. This one I have less I'm torn on this one because I mean almost certainly if you've ever watched any sort of anime or fantasy show or anything like that, you've seen instances where somebody's heart has stopped and then they're their heart will, you know, start again. I mean, even resuscitating somebody from like drowning or something, you pump their heart to get it moving again, right? Or their lungs. Um, So I'm torn on the fact that like, I could kind of understand Goku's heart stopping briefly, but I wish they would have had like Yajirobe try to resuscitate him or something at the very least, rather than just having Goku's heart start again. He got better. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it definitely felt very weird because it's like oh crap goku like he seems pretty freaking dead and then it's just yajirobe kind of shows up and just i guess listens in closely and you hear goku's heart kind of like you know pitter patter start back up and i mean goku's alive and yeah sure he's alive but the one thing i do like is that goku's like ego and hopes are pretty bruised from the beatdown that he just got, right? There's kind of this emotional after effect of just losing so handedly. And the power difference between Goku and Piccolo is very disheartening as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, at this point, Yajirobe is is trying to help Goku. Goku says he needs water, but... I think it eventually turns into Goku saying, I need help. I need to see Korin. Can you take me to Korin's tower? And so Yajirobe begins the trek, taking Goku to Korin's tower. Yeah, and it's really interesting. What? I don't know. I don't, why is Goku thinking of Korin at a time like this? That's... And I haven't seen anything further, so I'm just, I'm really curious at this point. What made Goku think, all right, I just got my butt handed to me. Who I need to go see right now is Korin. Can you think of anything that's been kind of planted at this point, or would that be spoiling your future knowledge? I I do know a few things. One thing that I'm thinking of, though, and tell me if you remember if we've actually seen this yet. Have they, I can't remember, I don't think they have introduced sensu beans to us yet, have they? Oh, did Goku use one when he visited the first time? I think he did. You know what? You're right. So that might be what Goku's thinking about is Korin has sensu beans. But I think the other thing too, number two here, is that I think Goku is thinking about, I need to get stronger. Who can help me get stronger in this moment? And I think the only person that he knows outside of Master Roshi who could really train him is Corrin. Yeah. And did Goku actually learn what the 
the special water was, or did Korn keep that a, a secret from Goku? I'm trying to remember that as well. So the way that they they resolved that when Goku was chasing Korin to get the sacred holy water is that Korin let Goku drink the water and then he said, yeah, you know all that training that you did? That's why you got stronger. This water, this is tap water. That's right. So it's all right. So it has to be the sensu bean then. It has to be what Goku's thinking. That's the only thing I can think of right now. It's really interesting. Or just he trusts Corrin's training and he thinks that that might be the next step. I don't know. We'll we'll find out later. But for right now, I'm just kind of wondering. It's very confusing to me because it's like, oh, man, I just got my butt beat. Do you, do you want to know who I need to talk to? Corrin. Yeah, I, I I can only my I my best guess is the the sensu beans, but my my secondary guess is the training. But I I mean that kind of turns into Goku and Yajirobe heading to Korin's tower. We also then kind of cut to Master Roshi and gang as they, I think they have five Dragon Balls at this point and. Piccolo has the other two of the full set of seven. Yeah, so these both parties on a, are, are on a collision course, and both parties plan on stealing the Dragon Balls from <laughs> each other. So we've got some shady stuff that's about to go down. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I mean, we kind of know Master Roshi has expressed we are not fighting this guy. We cannot win, even with all of us combined. We won't be able to defeat King Piccolo. And so they land their ship. They bury the Dragon Balls that they have to try and hide them. And their plan is to hop on King Piccolo's ship, steal his two Dragon Balls while he's off the ship looking for the other five, and then get back to their five, summon the dragon, wish for Piccolo to be no more. I mean, admittedly, that sounds like a like a D and D group plan, doesn't it? <laughs> it's great. I love it. Uh, it's it's really fun, but it does not work out the way that they hope it does. No, pretty immediately, Piccolo shows up and catches on to, I guess, how strange things are when he's at the site and everyone's hidden, and he almost immediately he goes, "Well, they're probably going to try and steal these Dragon Balls, so I better keep them safe." And that's when he unfurls his big alien tongue. And slurps down those two Dragon Balls to keep them safe inside of him. And, oh my gosh. What do you do at this point? The whole plan is now, you have to go through Piccolo to get these? It's This was a disaster. And I love the fact that this is a disaster. I mean, and their characterization for Piccolo, I guess it's not even really characterization so much, but just making him feel so, I mean, you could say alien, but just so inhuman like the fact that he almost vomited up this egg and created this other creature from his body and then is willing to swallow these large orbs to keep them safe inside of himself it just makes him feel so inhuman and i i love it it's really well done and yeah at this point it's you have to go through piccolo if you're going to get out of this and Tien is just just begging Master Roshi to let him fight Piccolo. That he that he has to fight Piccolo. It's, I mean, 
I can feel Tien at this moment. He's got this new master who's put him on the right track and he's going to go out there and he's going to, he's going to fight. He's going to do what he needs to do to help other people and hopefully impress his master. Right? Like he's laying it all out there. Oh my gosh. It was a little heartbreaking when, uh, master Roshi took out the old sleeping gas and hit Tien with it. Yeah. And this is what I was talking about with Tien's pride kind of coming into play here. Tien, I think we've kind of gotten the impression that Tien has always been proud of his strength and that's Mm. what he puts value in. And even here against insurmountable odds, he wants to test himself against this strongest creature that he's probably ever heard of. Uh, And Tien is young too, right? Like Tien is, if I had to guess, probably what early twenties or something like that. So He's young, he's rash, he's proud, and you're seeing all these characteristics kind of bubble to the surface. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's about right for his age. But yeah, Roshi's not going to let it happen. I mean, being the smart and crafty teacher that he is, yeah, he gasses Tien, knocking him out. Uh, don't want to know what else Roshi's using that gas for. But <laughs> You just happen to have it on hand. <laughs> <laughs> But this turns into Roshi now saying, he tells Chaozu, hey, stay out of this. I'm going to go out there. No matter what happens, don't get involved. Just you guys are my backup, basically. And I don't mean backup in this fight. I mean, if I die, you guys need to take care of Piccolo after my death. Yeah, and that's kind of a surreal moment, right? And especially somebody like Master Roshi, who probably really hasn't been that afraid of most people. I mean, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So the stakes are already being laid out. We're preparing for this one-on-one encounter with Master Roshi and Piccolo. And that kind of leads us into the next episode, right? Yeah, yeah, moving forward to 111. Which is going to be... Kame Senen's final Mafuba. If you could uh, translate that for me. <laughs> yeah, the Mafuba is what I frequently refer to as the evil containment wave. And Heck Kame yeah. Senen, our master <laughs> Roshi. Here we go. Piccolo and Roshi are now standing across from each other, kind of preparing for battle. We see Roshi with his steel-eyed look that only a master could keep in the presence of somebody like Piccolo. And this is something where they exchange a few pleasantries, but the battle kicks off pretty quick in this episode. And once again, we have an entirely one-sided affair. We see Master Roshi not even attempting attacks, uh, just Piccolo flexing, I guess, his his key, his aura of key, and just that is enough to send Master Roshi flying. Uh, Piccolo doesn't even need to touch master roshi to win this fight it seems like i man the dialogue and the 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 tone here i love it like piccolo treats master roshi as if he is an ant beneath his boot and his his dialogue expresses as much his attitude expresses as much but roshi is unwilling to bend in fact Roshi just smirks, like expressing, you know, I'm I'm here. I know I know where I stand. I know I'm not strong enough to beat you. I think he even tells Piccolo that, but he's still going to defy Piccolo. He's not going to let Piccolo get what he wants. 
And it turns into, I mean, Piccolo is using these different key attacks to to beat up Roshi, knocking him into the rock, uh, even going so far as to blast like right over his shoulder. Uh, but Roshi doesn't flinch at that at all. Yeah, and it kind of it's kind of a I guess almost like an ego move to try. He's trying to make Roshi flinch, right? He's firing these key blasts as close as he can get without actually hitting Roshi, and Roshi doesn't falter. These key blasts they land right at the feet of Roshi and then right over his shoulders, but he doesn't move. He stands there, kind of steel-eyed, and just stays in front of the Demon King. This, I mean, it infuriates Piccolo too, and then Roshi reveals. You know, we've we've met before. I've I've fought you before. And I am actually the student of Master Mutaito. And this strikes fear into Piccolo. Again, nod to the animators here because the way that they show Piccolo's face, his eyes, his face extending outward in fear it's really well done kind of the the pupils hollowing out as the realization kind of pours into him and you got to remember piccolo is probably just terrified of that technique because he got sealed away for decades he sat there in solitary confinement for god knows how many years because master roshi is hundreds of years old right yeah. And so yeah. I have no idea how long ago this was, but I can only imagine what being left alone with your thoughts for that many years would do to a person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would drive you nuts. And so this basically results in Roshi throwing out a capsule and we get to see his trusty rice cooker get tossed <laughs> out here. Uh, and he's going to perform the evil containment wave. And we see... I mean, again, the fear that we get to see expressed from Piccolo is so tangible. He even goes so far as to leap as fast as he can into the air, trying to get back to his ship, get away from Roshi and away from this technique. Uh, and the technique itself is given a lot of respect here. As we see Roshi charging up, he's going through these different hand motions and he lashes out with this yellow green energy that catches Piccolo and in a swirl begins to throw him towards the rice cooker. Yeah, we see Piccolo's face as his terrified expression kind of stretched along the screen as the energy pulls him out of the sky and he's swirled through the air until Master Roshi finally throws his arms down, aiming the the wave of energy with Piccolo in it towards the threatening rice cooker but this time it ends a little differently as all the winds and turbulent air knock the rice cooker around and master roshi actually misses this technique failing to contain piccolo and this was master roshi's big gamble this was his ace in the hole sort of thing and master roshi even just panics once he realizes that oh i've missed <laughs> it's a really surreal moment you know and i want to get your confirmation on this if you remember because i think we kind of glossed over i think that there's a moment that roshi says that his master never taught him correct the evil containment wave 
which is super interesting to me, right? In that he's like, oh no, he, he never taught it to me. So Roshi, Roshi just straight out lied about that. And it it's kind of like I I like to contemplate why he would lie. Like, is he trying to is he trying to protect his students? Like he doesn't want them to attempt it or he doesn't want to teach it to them. It's, it's such an interesting thing for him to do. Well, it also depends on the, the degree of the lie, right? Like my master never taught it to me, but I learned it over the years sort of thing. Or, you know, I figured it out, but I've never actually tried it sort of thing. It's, it's what degree did he lie? And I mean, if it was an outright lie, it could have been to protect Tien to make sure he wasn't overconfident and to survive on. Or maybe Roshi wasn't even confident in himself to even perform it correctly, like we kind of just saw. And so there's a lot of layers to it. I mean, there's a full discussion you could have around what that was it a lie and or was it technically true? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't think Roshi was actually taught it as far as I know. It just seemed like his master showed up and said, I have a technique. And then he went and did it. That's as far as we know anyway. Yeah, that's, those are, those are good points and interesting interpretations of, of Roshi's choice of words here, because uh, honestly, you're, you're probably right. More likely than not, Master Mutaito probably didn't teach it to Roshi, but Roshi was present when it was performed. So uh, Roshi is a savvy enough martial artist that he probably just kind of, picked up on it or maybe even practiced it after the fact or potentially after hearing that king piccolo was around perhaps he was you know practicing it in secret over the past day or two and trying to perfect the technique but like you said clearly did not yeah and it's probably a difficult technique to even teach because it, it requires your life force right it's a very dangerous technique and you wouldn't want, I don't know, someone young and inexperienced. And while Tien is a phenomenal fighter and an excellent martial artist, you you don't want him playing with powers that you you may not think he's mentally prepared for. It might be something that's more detrimental to Tien than it is actually to Piccolo. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and I mean, as we're going to see here, that basically happens to Master Roshi. This was kind of a wasted effort where Roshi misses the the containment wave. Demon King Piccolo is basically just laughing like he screwed it up. And Roshi's Roshi's struggling. Like Roshi's giving a little bit of a narrative saying like it will we will stop you. But that turns into Roshi falling over to the ground dead. Yeah, and once again, we've got we've got another, as far as we know, dead character in this arc. We've, gosh, we're damn near six people that we've seen die, two of which are iconic characters that have been with us since the beginning. It's definitely a big moment, and we see Tien kind of cry out in, in pain and anger as he watches this go down. But this isn't over. Piccolo is still on scene, and with Master Roshi defeated, he now has all seven Dragon Balls at his disposal. So this is kind of worst-case scenario right now. And, yeah, with the five Dragon Balls that Roshi and crew had exhumed from the ground, 
the Eternal Dragon is summoned. And things are looking really, really bleak right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is fan- fantastic writing. Let's just put it that way, because, I mean, the tension here, like, the, ba- the bad guys are winning. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the bad guy is winning. And- Heavily. Like, completely. As in, we've just watched two very important characters get killed. <laughs> like irredeemably winning sort of thing. And the, I mean, I think Piano specifically said that if Demon King Piccolo gets his wish to be, to be young forever, he's going to be much stronger than he is in his current state. So in his old weakened state, he's already handing it to our good guys with ease. And, He's just now summoning Shenron and about ready to get his wish and become much stronger. Yeah. And if we think back a little bit, um, Roshi at the World Martial Arts Tournament as Jackie Chun pretty much fought Tien to a standstill, right? And then Tien went on and he actually beat Goku technically in the World Martial Arts Tournament. And so as far as the most recent measuring stick we have for Goku, Roshi is right up there, probably at about the same level. And yeah, R- Roshi was just beaten by old Piccolo and Piccolo just got just a big tune up. Oh, and quick note, the summoning of Shenron this time around looked fantastic, by the way, the animation where it splits into the seven dragons and then reforms again. Oh, it looks so good. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I think the... I think that pretty much moves us to the next episode as we're left with that little cliffhanger. Yes, and that cliffhanger ends on episode 112, Demon King Piccolo's Youth Restored? Oh boy, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> so, yeah. with uh, the the dragon summoned and Piccolo standing before it, we see Piccolo getting ready to make his wish. And if you remember back to the first time Shenron was summoned uh, by Pilaf, we had a certain little oinker step in and make a wish to interrupt the great emperor's chances, right? Well, the same thing sort of kind of happens here where Chaozu jumps out and attempts to override Piccolo's wish. But Piccolo being quick on his feet actually blasts Chaozu with a key blast through his fingers like we've seen. And Chaozu drops to the ground perceivably dead in one key blast. Yeah, this is huge. Like, not only is this a really cool callback to the very first arc in Dragon Ball, like you said, with Oolong jumping in to save the day by making his own wish, but it does not go the way that it did in that first arc. This is a very dark twist to the silly way that they saved the day in the first arc, where Chaozu gets murdered for trying to be the hero and in some ways it's Tien's fault Tien was the one who told him to go out there and attempt to save the day and so Tien watches his friend get murdered and now has to kind of lie in that guilt yeah he just sentences probably his best friend off to his death he watched his his 
now master get killed right before his eyes, and all he could do was lay there and watch the entire time. I I can just I can't imagine the kind of torture and agony that Tien would be feeling at that moment. Laying there powerless as everyone he cares about kind of dies before him. And it's not like Tien had a lot of people he cared about, right? It's, I mean, Chao Tzu was definitely at the top of that list, but Master Roshi was kind of turning into a father figure for him. And he just watched him get blasted away. But with Chao Tzu out of the way and Tien unable to do anything... This is where we see Piccolo kind of go through with the deed, right? This is where nothing is in his way. And we see the the wish of youth be made. And we have this actually pretty good-looking animation where we're kind of watching Piccolo reform as his skin kind of gets pulled back and his dark greens turn into more vibrant greens and his faith face with all its wrinkles gets smoothed out and he's now this younger form of what he was we now have young even more powerful piccolo on the scene i love this scene like you said the animation here is great the i mean we get a full on shenron facelift for demon king piccolo but you even see his muscles just like bulk up you see him stretching out his shirt it looks fantastic and also gives us that visual feeling that he's now just more powerful and as shenron is getting ready to make his kind of iconic exit at this point Piccolo turns around and says, hey, I've got one more thing for you and spews a key blast from his mouth, murdering Shenron. Yeah, the Shenron explodes. You see one of his little arms bounce off the ground and the Dragon Balls all kind of lose their glow and all fall to the ground as gray rocks as... We just watch Shenron, the eternal dragon, get murdered right in front of us. And I want to say that just raised the stakes on whatever is going to happen next by tenfold, because that was the solution to everything that was happening up till this point. Right. That was like, well, the Dragon Balls, right? Like that's in the back pocket. That was just taken off the table. I don't know what the hell's going to happen because things are about as bad as they could be. I mean, this right here, this moment is something that I've asked for in modern day Dragon Ball for a very long time, where, like you said, the the Dragon Balls are their reset button. They are their solution to any problem that they have. And King Piccolo just nuked the reset button and said, yeah, you don't you don't have that anymore. Good luck fixing any of the damage that I've done to this planet. Well, I mean, it just switched it from the normal timeline to the future Trunks timeline, right? There is no takesies, backsies. And when a good friend dies, they're dead. And so just, I mean, I had that moment of just like, oh my God, what do they do? And I watched all the future stuff, but like being in that moment at that time, like that's a huge decision. And that radically changes what the remaining Z fighters can do. It's, I... Excellent storytelling, excellent way to raise the stakes. And at this point, it's, I mean, the training wheels are off. We are, we are in serious mode at this point. There, there's no coming back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, man, I love this so much because it's, it's, I mean, we, we watch 
Krillin die. We watched Roshi die. We watched Chaozu die. And in the back of our minds, we're like, holy crap, this is a big deal. But we've still got the Dragon Balls. Like, they could potentially do something here to get them back. And then when Shenron dies, like, I, I don't even think... And I mean, you know, I've watched this stuff kind of out of order and I know all of the future stuff going forward. But I feel like if I had watched this as a kid, like just the original Dragon Ball and seen that shot, I would have been like, I didn't even think that that was possible. I wouldn't (laughs) have even put Shenron as on the table as being somebody who could be killed like that. No, I never guessed that was going to happen. That caught me just off guard by... I don't know, a million miles. It was one of those things where I couldn't wrap my head around it when it happened. I was like, he's the eternal dragon, though. Isn't that forever? You can't do that. <laughs> like, you just broke the rules. But yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's it's also, if you're a villain, you get the wish that you want, right? And then you take those cards off the table. No one else is playing with that deck. It's smart. And I, I think that's another really good point that they've they've made for Piccolo's character is that He's an intelligent bad guy. He's not like Pilaf. He's not silly. He's not bumbling. He's not stupid. He's he's already avoided being trapped by Master Roshi. Uh, he's taken the the reset button off the table by killing Shenron. Like he is he is a class A villain, and I I love it. It's really well done. Yeah, this is. I mean, I've looked ahead a little bit. And by that, I mean, this is like the final bad guy in the Dragon Ball series, as far as I can tell, without having seen anything ahead of here. So, I mean, if we're building him up to be the big baddie, he's certainly living up to it. Yeah. And so we kind of move forward. We, I mean, we get to see the aftermath as the as shenron you know the effects of shenron the the sky turns black and so uh, the rest of the gang knows that shenron's been summoned like balma and the others know that something's happened but they don't know what so they don't they don't know what happened to roshi or chaotsu i mean for all they know uh, roshi and the others could have gotten the dragon balls and made their wish to get rid of piccolo uh but they're kind of talking about like you know what do we do if that's not the case, like what about worst case scenario? And we also kind of get a glimpse of like of Goku and Yajirobe making their way towards Korin's tower still. Um, and it's it's I mean, it's kind of just setting everything up for the second half of the arc here as Piccolo leaves the scene uh tien gets up and laments chaozu's death with some really great animation and some really great acting there but i think one of our last scenes is the pilaf gang kind of getting double crossed because piccolo now got the dragon balls and he just literally blows them off of the ship and then Goku and Yajirobe make it to the base of Korin's tower and we're kind of left with now what? What do they do against this all-powerful Piccolo? Yeah, the 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 table's set at this point. We've got a villain who is definitely stronger than anything that they faced. He was already stronger 
in his old form, and now he's hit that next level sort of thing. You don't have the wisdom of Master Roshi around to kind of come up with, you know, a solution from from his, you know, behind. Uh, mm-hmm. You Krillin's gone, uh, so you can't rely on him anymore. Chaozu was just killed. It's decisions are starting to become fewer and fewer what you can actually do. And with the Dragon Balls off the table, it's what do they do? This you just have to hope that Corn has an idea. Pretty much everything is relying on that at this point because Balma and Yamcha in the gang they don't really have a solution if the Demon King's still kicking it around. Um, Goku's not strong enough as he is. Yajirobe's not really the most helpful seeming guy. We're just waiting to see what Corn says at this point. That's it. It's everything you know lives or dies based off of what Corn says up in that tower. Yeah, and so for our coverage of the Demon King Piccolo arc, that's the last episode that we're going to be covering for the first half. And I mean, honestly, I I think it's a great spot to end on where the bad guys are winning. Like the the good guys are in a a place of of desperation. Like you said, Dayton, the only thing that Goku has to rely on right now is whatever Korin has to offer. And, you know, that could be training, that could be healing Goku, uh, maybe some combination of the two, maybe something else entirely. But we don't know. In this moment, Goku has no way of bringing all of his friends back. Also, Goku doesn't yet know that Chaozu and Master Roshi are dead. So when he finds that out, that should be a really interesting moment that learning that his master, again, like you said with Krillin or with, with Tien rather, uh, especially for Goku, Master Roshi has been like a father figure in a lot of ways. So that's going to be a big deal for him. And this is just in general, this arc was constructed very differently than a lot of other arcs that we've we've reviewed, at least this part one, in that I don't think there was very much animation that's worth talking about in this arc. I don't think there's a lot of or hardly any good fighting to talk about, but it is all build up, right? This is all building towards something bigger. And it's not about Goku or his character development really at this point. There's not really a lot with that. It's we are building up Piccolo. We are building up the villain. We are setting the stakes in the environment. So it's all the focus is on something different this arc. Because most other arcs it had, you know, we had Tien turning around or we had Goku learning to control his power or doing the right thing or you know, there was something else going on. This is a very villain-centric arc that really just sets the table. And, I mean, it's it's not like, say, with the Red Ribbon Army, where they were already kind of, kind of an established threat, but in some ways also kind of incompetent, right? This time we have an actual competent villain and somebody who they themselves are growing in power. And, I don't know, I'm really interested to see how this pays off, because I think... This the first half of this arc is absolutely build up for the second half of it. Yeah, and yeah, you make a lot of really good points there. I mean, there are a couple moments like there are a few scenes and they're just they're just little snippets of like 
drawn animation that I like uh, from like early age Dragon Ball Z almost, but the fight animation here, there's only one or two little sequences, like little snippets in those fights that I was like, Ooh, that's fun. That has like a cool juggling Dragon Ball Z effect that I really like. Uh, but the fights as a whole, no, they're, they're definitely nothing to write home about. They're not the focal point by any means. I mean, like you said, Piccolo, Piccolo himself is really kind of the, the, the focal point here, Piccolo and just how terrifying he is, just how overpowering he is. And he he just doesn't care about human life. He doesn't care about how he affects the people around him. And yeah, like you said, we haven't really had, we haven't had a villain really like that at all. I mean, Tien was a bad guy with quotes. Uh, Pilaf is a bad guy, but he's, he's bumbling. He's incompetent. The Red Ribbon Army was certainly a bigger threat than Pilaf, but still a measure of incompetence or at least they're they're they were all pretty weak uh just even by comparison to just goku and even when you look at like uh uh tao he was kind of supposed to be kind of a serious villain or assassin or whatever but there were still plenty of jokes and humor and i don't know lightheartedness that was kind of circling that whole situation right there is no lightheartedness in any of this all the other villains had some some level of, you know, Goku's childness kind of coming into play and making the bad guys seem silly or the bad guys might have just been silly. This is the first time where it's just no, it's if you mess around, you're probably going to end up dead. Yeah, I mean, this arc to me, I'm going to kind of enliken it to the Frieza arc for me because I love Dragon Ball Z. One of the reasons I love Dragon Ball Z, especially the Frieza arc, is because Frieza feels menacing. The Even before we meet Frieza, Frieza's reputation makes him feel menacing, makes him feel scary. And he's almost always in control and almost always much more powerful than our good guys and honestly, that's a lot of what we get from King Piccolo here. Like a lot of the framework that was laid out by King Piccolo gets used later and kind of improved upon, I think, for Frieza, I would say. Yeah, I think so. Just the, I guess, the tyrant, right? The person who's in charge with with minions and just this this cutthroat attitude that will just leave a wake of destruction in whatever they do. And they'll just kill for fun. They'll kill because you we're in the way sort of thing indiscriminately this pure evil not just a bad guy or a jerk but pure evil yeah yeah i'm i'm really excited to do the the second half of this uh to to kind of see it's a lot of build-up it's a whole lot of build-up yeah and i mean i don't think it's a Spoiler by any means to say that we're going to get some really cool fights moving forward. Uh, obviously, Goku, there's there's no even if you don't know what's coming, there's no world in which Goku does not fight Piccolo. Right. Like that's going to happen. That's going to come to a head in one way, shape or form. 
Yeah. And how does Goku respond to just overwhelming power, right? Like, what's the the next plan of attack? Goku's not necessarily known for his intelligence, so what does he do? Yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of a fighting savant, but he's, like you mentioned, with Master Roshi being dead, Goku doesn't have that kind of directing force or that uh, that voice of reason in Roshi to kind of give him some insight. He's got Korin, which, you know, good on Goku for thinking, you know, I can go see Korin. But the funny thing is, you know, again, Goku doesn't know that Roshi's dead just yet. Uh, so without him really realizing it, Korn is one of his last resorts. Yeah. So maybe it's dumb luck. Maybe Goku already thought ahead of something that he might reveal coming up here, but yeah, we've, it's all set up at this point and hopefully the, the part two of this arc is going to be the payoff. So I'm, I'm excited. I, but at the same time, my standards are high at this point. So let's see if they meet them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into the next part. Um, did you have anything else in terms of it, it sounds like you liked the the build up at the very least. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say about the first half of this? I mean, that's to me, that's pretty much what the first half was, is this all felt like build up. I don't think there's there's really a lot of necessarily character growth or anything else that's happening it's it's build up and it's tone change and all now that all that is in play and i like the way they did a lot of it we're gonna have to see if it pays off though is is yeah. the tone gonna stay the same is the payoff gonna be worth it or are we gonna get i mean i there's a man i'm sorry i'm i'm at a loss for words right now because it's all this has to pay off. It really is. They are setting the stakes really high. So the, the second half of this arc is going to mean just a whole lot. Yeah. I, I know most of what happens coming up. Uh, some of the specifics I forget, but, and obviously I, I I'm not going to spoil any of that. There are a few things with the demon King Piccolo arc that I don't like, like the, the fact in this, even just in this section, Goku gets, beaten but not killed multiple times and the the bad guys just kind of like leave him for dead but then he comes back i'm not a big fan of that uh i there are you could kind of explain it away once or twice i guess but that's not my favorite uh i feel like they could do better storytelling than that um there's one or two things I think coming up that are questionable, but I think the overall arc I'm a very big fan of. So I'm excited for part two. Heck yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think we've just about beaten everything to death. What do you think? Not Goku though. He's not dead. Not yet. Not yet. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this episode of instant transmission where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we climb Corrin's Tower for some more training in the conclusion to the Demon King Piccolo arc. Ooh, I love training. Goku's going to need a lot more strength if he hopes to defeat a younger, stronger Demon King Piccolo. Will Yajirobe be able to climb Corrin's Tower? What kind of training will Corrin put Goku through? Can someone swallow with a hole in their stomach? Oh, find out a next time.
And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Man, it'd be so cool to vomit out minions. <laughs>